want the Big Ten Championship, and we're going to win it as a team. No man is more important than the team. No coach is more important than the team. The team, the team, the team. When the old season is over, you and I know it's going to be Michigan again. Michigan. Okay, everybody, welcome back. To another episode of Run Past Michigan, our RPM podcast here on The Athletic. I'm, of course, Nick Baumgartner, joined, as always, by Austin Meek. And, Austin, we are less than two weeks away from football. This is, uh, it still doesn't feel like it's coming for me. I don't know why, but it still feels like it's farther away than it is, but well, luckily it's you, not. You've had a few things going on I at have, your house, so yeah. we'll, we'll give you a pass on that one. Congratulations, <laughs> yeah, by the way. Yeah, appreciate it. Appreciate it. Maybe it's sleep deprivation. I don't know. One <laughs> yeah, of the two. So. As you know, a father of two yourself, it's it's uh, you get a little a little starry-eyed or a little whatever uh, in those 1 a.m. situations, but uh, yeah. football around the corner. We're almost here. Uh, How does it feel to finally be on the doorstep here. You know, I'm with you. I I don't think it's really hit me yet. I mean, usually you you have this routine that's so ingrained. And by the time you get to the week before the first game week, you're like, okay, it's here and you can feel it coming. And I really don't feel that way this week. It doesn't feel like we're going to go into a game week next week, but we are. Uh, You know, we'll get right into it. We'll probably hear from Jim Harbaugh on Monday and uh, do the usual stuff leading up to the game and then Michigan, Minnesota, big, big opener for Michigan. So uh, it's it's going to be here, <laughs> whether we're prepared yeah. for it or not. It is coming. It is coming. Michigan, obviously, on the road to start out. Uh, and, and, and again, like an interesting situation. I think we've touched on this before. Joe Minton's first start, it, you know, it, it's on the road, but with no crowd. Is it going to, you know, is that going to challenge anything? But I thought today, maybe before we get into the first game week, we can sort of go over maybe an expectation of, Kind of a rough outline of a depth chart, or, or at least some spots um, that you know maybe there have been some questions. Jim Harbaugh spoke uh, on uh, Michigan's radio show, I believe, earlier this week. He hasn't talked to any of the local reporters in months, right? Am I right on that? He hasn't talked locally <laughs> sometime. Yeah, we, we had think, that one. Maybe? Yeah, we had that yeah. one. Uh, <laughs> I think it's once since January. So we we yeah. think maybe he'll talk next week. Is that? Uh, but uh, not a promise. There's folks that listen to our show up there. We're, we're going to say if, if anybody ever wants to talk, he's he's welcome to come on with us. But, you know, I don't think that's ever going to happen. But any event, he did talk with John Jansen, of course, uh, and they went over some stuff. I don't, is there anything, Austin, that, that's been sort of in terms of depth chart stuff or position battle questions before we get into this that's been sort of top of mind for you that you've been interested in or, or, or kind of wondering how this is going to shake out? You know, there's a couple spots that I think are really going to be a source of uh, scrutiny and fascination early in the season. I mean, there's a lot of spots that are, are pretty well locked down right now. You know, we, we know that Joe Milton's going to be the quarterback. Uh, you know, we know that Ronnie Bell's going to be one of the starting wide receivers. You know, a lot of those things are pretty well established, but there's a couple spots where Michigan doesn't have a starter coming back and yep. the competition may well go on into the season. You know, that second cornerback spot, I think, is right. maybe the number one spot on the list for me in terms of I really don't know who that guy is going to be. Is it going to be Jimon Green? Uh, Jim Harbaugh mentioned moving Sammy Faustin from safety to corner. Is he going to get in that mix? DJ Mm -hmm. Turner, Jalen Perry. Uh, That's probably the one where I would say, you know, you could throw a dart right now and there's probably five different guys that could end up starting in that spot and I wouldn't be shocked by any one of them. Yeah, it's been interesting, you know, over the years, that Michigan's always sort of defaulted it, you know, with Don Brown anyway, uh, and even when DJ Durkin was here with Harbaugh, they play three corners a lot, um, and I and it, I'm interested to see obviously number one who that 
you know, who that number two corner, I guess, would be uh, opposite Vince Gray. But it's also an interesting scenario to look at what Daxton Hill is going to do. Um, you know, Hill, I think he's going to stay at safety. It sounds like he's going to stay at safety, but he's certainly going to play, you know, a lot of man coverage and nickel in the slot, which kind of de facto turns into your third corner, which means in some cases, you know, could you get away with if you – Maybe you had another safety that comes up and, and is playing well in a, in a three-safety situation that you can maybe get away with some stuff. But, I mean, there's a lot of guys in that 2018 class, or a couple guys anyway, and Faustin would be one of them. Both Gemin and German Green are, are in the same boat. That it's kind of like go time for them now. It's like we got to see, you know, Michael Barrett is another guy in that same situation. They haven't played. We haven't seen anything from them. Uh, you know, are they going to step up and do something? We, we talked about that with Vincent Gray before he kind of took the job, and it was the same question with him. Uh, going into his first year as a starter where it was like, well, he's never played. We know nothing about, you know, what he can or can't do other than that he was an interesting prospect in high school, but not a polished one. And then he held up pretty well, but he also held up pretty well opposite a really good player. So, uh, you know, (laughs) there's a lot of guys. Andre Selden would be the young freshman who maybe is a guy to keep an eye on. You mentioned DJ Turner, Faustin. It's really, you know, I gotta wonder if this is a, if it's a bit of a revolving door, or if they, or if they do try to tinker with maybe a third safety, if somebody like Makari Page or Hunter Reynolds can come in and and give them opportunities. But you know, Daxon Hill is kind of the, kind of the, um, I don't know, X factor is the easy one to say, or the guy that you can, the guy that you can move around. I think there was much made about a position switch with him. I don't. Whatever there, he he does his position is wherever you know what I mean. He's one of these guys that's right. almost positionless. I think right. right. I mean that's kind of my read on that. Yeah, that was my thought too. Is you know he played nickel last year. He obviously knows how yeah. to play nickel. So if you get in a situation where you need five DBs on the field, then maybe you slide him from safety into nickel, and then you have a, a third safety like a, a guy like Makari Page, mm-hmm. uh, somebody like that that you could put on the field in those passing situations to get another DB on the field. I mean Dax Hill's not going to come off the field, <laughs> right? Wherever yes. they line him. Up, they're going to put him in a lot of different places. Uh, he's going to play pretty much every down, and and he should. You know, Jim Harbaugh said the other day he might be Michigan's most talented player. And right. if you look at the recruiting rankings, that would back that up. And so, I said it a million times on this podcast: is when you get a player like that at Michigan, he's got to be a difference maker. It's yeah. not like Michigan has five of those guys in every class, and if two or three of them pan out, you're good. You, you know, you you yeah. got a, a guy like that, five star player. Uh, you know, he, he's got to play like that. And I think that, you know, that's a fair expectation for Dax Hill. We, we saw the flashes of that last year. Uh, he had a good freshman year, was put in some tough spots, played well, had some, some learning moments. And now I think this is the year where uh, you really would, would expect him to take a big step forward. And, that, you know, there's, there's several guys like that yeah, on Michigan's right. defense. Uh, if we look at the defensive line, uh, one of those guys – in a similar mold would be Chris Hinton. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and we just talked uh, this afternoon with Sean Nua, defensive line coach, uh, about his group. And, you know, there, there's a lot of um, optimism with that Michigan defensive line, which last year, I remember at this time last year, there, there were a lot of questions about yeah. that group. Uh, you know, we didn't know. Um, even Aiden Hutchinson and Quiddy Pay were not the household names that they are right, right. now. Um, so looking at this group now, you feel really good about the two defensive ends and the guys in the middle. It seems like they, they do have some depth there now between Hinton, uh, Donovan Jeter, who's gotten a lot of buzz in the preseason. And of course, Carlo Kemp coming back. Uh, we know what Carlo can do. So looks like 
on the surface, that that position group could go from being one of the big question marks last year to one of the groups that you feel the best about going into this season. Yeah, Jeter is really the one for me that a lot of this sort of hinges on because I think we know we know what they're going to get from Carlo Kemp, and Carlo Kemp's a pretty steady football player. I don't think I would you know call him dominant or or a guy that's going to wreck a game or really do anything that's you know, going to be alarming for, for, you know, opposing offense, but he's a steady player and a guy that, you know, can sort of hold the rope for you in there. We know he can do that. I think Chris Hinton's going to be a good player. I think we all agree on that. But Jeter is the guy who, if you look back, you know, he came into Michigan as like a 250, 260-pound sort of like, is he a defensive end? Is he a defensive tackle? What are you doing with this guy? Uh, talented player, though, and a guy that was pretty highly recruited, or at least, you know, regionally. And it's been sort of a journey, you know, as, as you see at times where now all of a sudden he's over 300 pounds. I think last year was the, was he finally got his weight up or his size up to play inside. They decided they're going to move him inside. We went through spring and they talked a lot about, you know, they expected, you know, big things from Donovan Jeter. They expected, you know, him to be able to come in there and fill some of those, some of those voids. And it never happened. It just did not happen. And I wondered at the time last year, if that was maybe part of, you know, him getting caught in the uh, position switch. And now a year later, um, you know, I don't know if I'm saying I'm more willing to buy into their hype because that's, you know, this is this is this feels like the, the last couple weeks of August where all we do is listen to them talk about how every player on the team is going to be an All-American. So I'm, I don't know if I'm willing to just totally go all the way in on that. But I would say this, that I'm more willing to sort of buy that they can get more from Donovan Jeter than they did a year ago. And they're not going to have a choice, really, is, is kind of the point now. You know, Mike Dwumfor is at Rutgers. Uh, you know, we know that Hinton should probably be better this year. We You'd think maybe Mozzie Smith should be better this year. But Jeter should be a guy now at this, this point in his career that you should be relying on. You should He should be able to go in there and play either, either as a starter or a guy who's playing heavy rotation snaps. Um, you know, he's been at the same spot for a minute now. He's got his weight where it needs to be. Um, he said all the things that he needs to say over the years about what, you know, I need to get, I think he talked last spring or two springs ago, you know, working the process of going from a young guy who needed to get more serious about details and he's done that. And so I'm, I'm more willing to buy it, but I still need to really see it because the middle of the defense right now for me still is very much a, I, I don't know. I mean, the ends, like you said, Austin Hutchinson and pay are outstanding football players, two of the best in the big 10. But, you know, that's two guys on the edge. You still got to go up the middle. And that was a huge problem last year, as we know. It's good to know that with all that has changed about college football in 2020, the, the annual tradition of <laughs> right. hyping up every single player on the roster has... Thank God uh, we got that, that in. has right? not changed. <laughs> yeah, right. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. You know, it's we, we're at that point now. I mean, it's even... In a way, it's even more pronounced because we've had this, like interminable off season where all we've been doing basically right. is been talking to people about what's going on, you know, in practices that we don't watch. And of course, you know, all the, the reports are, are glowing and you don't expect the coaches to come out and just, you know, rip on guys. But yeah, we're, we're definitely at that point now where we have reached saturation on hearing about all the players yeah. who are doing really well. Uh, and like you said, now, now we need to see it. Um, and you know, you can make the transition to linebacker. It's kind of the same story there. You know, mm-hmm. they, they've got players, Cam McGrone, uh, Josh Ross, huge expectations for those guys. Uh, but then after that, a lot of players that, you know, we just haven't really seen yet. 
Yeah, and guys that are right on the right on the edge, like you know, I, I always go back to Mike Barrett. I mean, he's you know such a unique player. It's been one of these things. It's been a pro. It's been a Don Brown project. I mean, Don Brown. If you go back for you know three, four years here, five years, whatever it's been, there's all kinds of examples of guys that get here. Fans get really excited about them. Then we don't hear anything about them for like a year and a half, and then suddenly they come out and and they've got a new role that Don Brown has carved out for them, and, and it works. That that's happened a couple times. Uh, most recently with Uche, and I feel like this is a possibility here with Mike Barrett that it could be something where, we, you know, they went through that a little bit on a shortened path with Cleek Hudson, moving him around a little bit before they finalized where he was going to play. It it just, it feels like it should work. It feels like it should work. Cameron Vergrone, obviously, is a very good player. I, and then Ross, you know, and again, I, I don't know where this all shakes out in terms of who do you trust? How many guys do you need on the field at once? I mean, it depends on the opponent you're playing probably. You know, against Minnesota, it's probably going to look look a little different than it does, to, you know, the following week against Michigan State. But the linebacker spot with McGrone, as a steady, you know what you're getting from him. Ross is an inside linebacker who can certainly play in rotational spots, and I, I think they're pretty comfortable with what they can get from him. But the the Sam and the Viper stuff is is the one where it's like, okay, well, what are you, you going to do? Are you going to continue to use that Sam Role the same way that you did a year ago with Uche, and you know, is David Ajabo or Ben Van Sumeren are they you know ready to be that type of player? I think that the, Ojabo maybe down the down the line, if he's ready, I I could buy that. But you know, maybe he's not ready yet. I don't know. I mean, he certainly fits sort of the same role of an edge edge defender who could maybe drop a little bit and cover as well. But if if you don't have a guy that can play that spot, you know as well as Uche could a year ago, and we've talked a thousand times about how limited maybe his reps were when they didn't need to be. That's a limited package spot. I mean, is it worth keeping that, you know, player on the field if he's not ready for that spot yet? I don't know. Um, but same time, I, I would say I, I, I would feel a little bit, I feel better about their linebacker situation than I do the defensive line. Because I just, I just, I feel like when you look at the defensive line, you know that Hutchinson and Pay are going to, you know, a lot of attention is going to have to be paid to both those guys, and you can move both of them around, and they can even slide inside and rush uh, inside. But it still feels really unproven, and really, you know, if you play a team that's going to, you know, when you, whenever they, even in week one, I mean, Minnesota's going to get downhill on you too. I mean, it's going to be difficult. You're going to have to be able to hold up in the middle and sort of protect those guys and let them run around a little bit. And I just that that to me, and people have talked a lot about the cornerback spot, but I still go back to the middle of the defense right up front. Um, and that's kind of the whole thing right now where I, I know they're excited about some of these guys, but it's also like, you know, I saw Jim Harbaugh say that he thought the identity, the identity of the team sort of started with the defensive line. And I'm like, is that real or is that you trying to talk that into existence? And sometimes, <laughs> you know, it's sometimes it can be both, but I guess we'll have to see. Are you buying the Ben Van Sumeren buzz? At Sam linebacker, because I admit I heard Don. Well, Brown he looks say like that. a pro wrestler, right? I mean, my <laughs> yeah, God. he looked like Ben Mason. Uh, yeah. yeah, I had to like rewind the tape Jeez. and listen to that again when when Don Brown was talking about that. Because is that is that really the yeah. guy? But maybe you know, maybe it is. I mean, he's not Josh Uche. Like, no. you know, if we're talking about the same position, you know, the Sam linebacker spot, but he's not Josh Uche. I mean, he might play that position, but I have to imagine they would use him in a different way, but maybe there is a way they can use him and, and have him be a valuable piece for that defense. I think that's the best spot, probably the best spot defensively for him if they're going to leave him on defense. Um, you know, he came here as a tight end slash fullback, a guy that they took super late, um, 
he actually played at Essexville Garber, which is the same conference I played in in high school, believe it or not. But in any event, uh, he was a guy that it was kind of like, you know, the original plan was, you know, he's going to be a fullback, but maybe he could also play tight end. He's athletic enough. He, you know, had good ball skills and all this sort of stuff. But if you flip it around, he's gained all this weight. He's put on all this muscle. And you say, well, where does he fit? And it's the same conversation they had with Ben Mason, where it's like, well, Ben Mason's not, you know, he's not rangy enough to be a linebacker in this defense in modern day for what you want to get done. So they tried to make him a defensive lineman and it just, that wasn't going to work. And so it's the same kind of thing with Van Sumer. And I, I do think that if you're going to leave him on defense, if you're not going to use an H back or whatever on offense, which, you know, I, I have no problem with that. They don't need an H back necessarily like that on the, in this offense. But if you're going to leave him on defense, I think that that's the role that he has to be in. I don't know if that means he's ready, but I think that that's the role he has to play. And I, I, I would be surprised, I think, if he's like a revelation or something right off the shoot, just because he hasn't been there that long. I mean, you know, they flipped him around a few times, offense, defense, that's happened. I, I you know, I wouldn't close the book on it, but I would I would feel like that that spot, you know, Jabo included maybe, would be, you know, that might be a year away from being ready to what they want it what they want it to be. Maybe it's not. And, you know, maybe they can use some of those guys in situations, but maybe not as many situations as they did last year with Uche, which is fine. But if you take that linebacker off the field, then you're either replacing him with another defensive back or, you know, a fourth defensive lineman. And if you have enough in the middle, if you can get back to playing four down, then, you know, maybe this works out. And, you know, I think that seems like that's kind of maybe what they want to happen. Uh, whether or not that can happen, I suppose, is, is a different question. Yeah, I'm kind of writing about that right now. You know, last year, uh, Josh Uche was Michigan's number one pass rusher. And right. you know, as good as Quiddy Pay and, and Aiden Hutchinson were last year, I think Quiddy had six and a half sacks. I mm-hmm. think Aiden had three and a half. I mean, they, you know, Uche was the guy where if, you know, if there was one guy you're going to turn him loose to get to the quarterback, it was Uche. Uh, and it does look like with this team, a lot more of the pass rush is going to have to come from the front four. You know, yep. it's going to have to be Pay and Hutchinson. Like Quiddy Pay, you know, it's a nine game schedule. I think he needs to have, you know, eight to 10 sacks. Like he needs to be you know, one of the top guys in the Big Ten yeah. in, in terms of sack production because he's talented enough to do that. Uh, and you know, and Michigan's got to figure out how to get him in those situations. And may, you know, maybe they didn't need to do that as much last year because they had Uche. And, mm-hmm. you know, and Quiddy said that too, that you know, last year he sort of looked at himself as a run defender first uh, and a pass rusher second. And I think this year you know, he needs to be both. Uh, but that pass rush, I think, is going to have to come more from the defensive line, don't you think? Yeah, I agree with that totally. That's a great point. And I think it's it's going to have to be those two guys getting it done just on their own. They're going to, you know, Aiden Hutchinson, if he's out, out wide, is going to get chipped a lot. He's going to get, you know, they're going to give help in certain situations because they know what he can do. Same with Quiddy. And I think you can move those guys around some, give them some interesting situations if you move them inside or get, you know, more speed on the field. Maybe not as much as you, you were able to in past years. But I, I look at those guys and I look back to, like, when – Winovich was here as a junior and a senior and he created so many positive plays for Michigan, negative plays for the offense, you know, chaos, havoc, whatever you want to look at it by himself, just by beating, you know, relentless, uh, you know, relentless pursuit, beating blocks off the edge and just making plays in the backfield, 
relentlessly. And I think that we talked about Daxon Hill never leaving the field. Hutchinson and Pay, I would assume, are going to be on the field like a ridiculous amount of time. And mm-hmm. when they're out there, it's, it's going to have to be there, – there's not much you – you know, it, you can scheme certain things to help guys and get guys, you know, in favorable matchups or situations, but those guys are just going to have to get done. Like, you know what I mean? Like, those guys are, are the two that you look at and you say, they're going to have to win more one-on-ones than they lose – yeah. And they're going to have to execute and get home. And that's a great point. I mean, they can send pressure and they can do all those things. But the best way for them to defend right now, I feel like with with maybe some unanswered questions on the back end, would be if you can get pressure with four or at least off the edge with those two guys consistently. That was the one thing, you know, at the end with Winovich was, you know, well, if Winovich and Rashawn Gary can both get after the quarterback off the edge together at the same time, then this is going to be very difficult to go against. They did that once in a while, but it was very different. I mean, Winovich did it a lot. Rashawn did it sometimes. Rarely it seemed like it was both, everybody did it at once. If they can do something like that up front with those two guys, then, you know, you, you suddenly you've got two guys who can wreck a game by themselves. And that is the most valuable thing in college football. If you have guys in the front that can wreck a game by themselves, you can do all kinds of stuff on defense and get away with it. And we've seen that happen here before. We've seen that happen, obviously, in other places, too. And it looks like Michigan at least has an opportunity or a chance to maybe have that you know potential this year. All right, let's uh, flip over and talk about the offense. Uh, and I think the most fascinating position there from a depth chart perspective is obviously the offensive line. We've started to get some, some clarity on how those mm-hmm. battles are shaken out. And it looks like, for now... Uh, the guys in the lead there are mostly the older guys. Uh, Andrew Vistardis, the fifth-year senior, seems to have a good hold on the center job. Uh, Chuck Filiaga at one of the guard spots. Andrew Stuber at the other guard spot. Uh, You know, I think that that is... uh, I don't think that it's, like, necessarily a bad bad sign for the young guys that nobody's, like, you know, taking it by storm and and won a job right now. I also think, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how that progresses over the course of the season. Because I think the best case scenario long term is that some of those young guys, whether it's you know right. Carson Barnhart, uh, Nolan Rumler, Trinte Jones, Zach Carpenter, one of those guys, long term you want to see something this year to say, yeah, those guys are are going to be dependable, you know, all Big Ten caliber linemen at Michigan. But I don't think you have to see it from day one. You know, I, I no. think the fact that it maybe is trending toward the older guys, uh, I don't think that's a bad sign. But it does set up some kind of interesting dynamics as the season plays out. Yeah, they've they've liked Vistardis for about three years now, uh, more than the average walk-on. I mean, it, and, and they've liked him in a room where they've had really good players, as we've seen. I mean, they put all those guys in the draft last year. So, you know, when the season flipped and it was pretty obvious that Cesar Ruiz is going to go pro and you looked at, you know, what was kind of sitting there, I, I kind of, you know, halfway convinced myself that they might be they might be able to survive it because they like, I mean, Vistardis has been a rotational guy, and they've they gave him a scholarship, I think, a couple years ago, or he had it on one year, whatever it was. So, you know, he's a guy that they've used in situations before. Um, he's held up pretty well in situations before. I think he's a you know he's a veteran now. I don't hate that. I mean, obviously, if you know the best, maybe the best case scenario for everything would have been if um, you know Carpenter could have maintained everything and kept it right where it needed to be and surged forward and was this terrific player all year as a second-year player, and then all of a sudden you got a star center going forward. And, you know, maybe that can still happen. But, you know, that's a really difficult job uh, for a first-year starter, for a guy who's younger in any event. So, you know, I don't I don't hate that, uh, but I do think it's still a 
you know, it's still going to be, uh, we'll see how this goes yeah. because, you know, he has never done this before. And it's the same thing with Filiaga uh, on the other side of him. I'm more inclined to believe that Stuber is going to be okay. I thought Stuber was more of a guard when he came to Michigan in the first place. Um, you know, he played some tackle early and was up and down, but not a bad player. But I, I just always felt like he was, you know, maybe more suited to be a guard anyway. Um, so I, I'd be more inclined to believe he'll be fine. Filiaga is the one that we just, uh, who, who I don't know. Uh, he has been here now for a couple, he was a pretty touted recruit. One of the guys who came in here and he was just massive. He's one of these massive bodies who I don't think it was like, he, I don't think he had bad weight or anything, but he was like a big, big house of a player <laughs> who sort of had to figure out, you know, a way to adjust to the speed and everything of the college game, which meant he probably wasn't going to be a tackle. So you move him inside a guard, and now suddenly it's, I believe it's his fourth year, so it's okay. Now let's go. It's a guy who's motivated. It's a guy who's had to watch other guys in front of him. It's a guy who's had to hear all the stuff about, you were a big-time recruit, you came in here, you haven't done anything. Sometimes that can really, you know, click for a guy, and boom, then it takes off. So I am very curious to see, maybe more than any spot on their offensive line, how Chuck Filiaga holds up. I, We know what Mayfield is. I think we know what Ryan Hayes is. Uh, I think Stuber will be fine. I think Vistardis is playable, passable, whatever. Filiaga is the one kind of X factor here to me that when Harbaugh, and, I think Harbaugh and maybe Gaddis have said a few times that you know they, they think they can even be more athletic up front this year. Uh, okay, we'll see. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Filiaga is the guy that sort of, if he can play to the capabilities that they thought they were going to get from him when they signed him, then you've got something going here. And you know maybe it's going to be a lot better than people you know, might have realized or thought going in based on all the guys they lost. It's not impossible. I'm. Uh, it's not impossible that they finish this year with a pretty good offensive line again. I, I think it can happen. I think it's in the realm of possibility. I've, I've been, this is my 10th year covering Michigan football and like seven of them featured horrible offensive line situations. <laughs> so I have seen worse. This is not that bad. This is, this is, I'm, I'm, I, it could go off the rails, but I, uh, I'm, I'm, cautiously optimistic I'll say that I think that it, it could be okay up front but you know a lot of it is going to hinge on on Filiaga there and if he can maintain that spot yeah I had uh, I, one of my mailbags or uh, live Q&A's I had somebody ask like am I crazy for thinking that Michigan could lose four starters from that offensive yeah. line and actually get better and I said yeah you, you are crazy That's they're, crazy. they're yeah. not going to get better uh, <laughs> you know they could be like you said by the end of the year they could be a pretty solid offensive line yeah. but I think that's that's one position where uh, you know the preseason hype is great but we got to keep in mind they've got a ton to replace there and they're doing it with guys who don't have a lot of experience uh, so you know prepare for some uh, prepare for some bumps in the road at that spot uh, the one position that I'm not worried about, is running back. I was yeah. looking at this the other day. It's like, I just, I don't see how running back is not one of the best positions on the team. You know, when, when you take what they had last year with Charbonnet, now Charbonnet's healthy, Hassan Haskins, and then you mix in Chris Evans coming back and you don't know what you're going to get from Chris Evans after basically two years away from football. But mm-hmm. the way I look at it, if you get anything, it's a bonus and he's a different style of player yes. than the two guys that they have. So it gives Josh Gaddis a nice mix to work with there. And then when you add in Blake Corum as a freshman, another player where if you get something from him this year, that's that's a bonus too. So I just I look at that running back room and I just I don't see how that's not a strength for Michigan. Absolutely agree. And I mean, like we said it last year throughout the year that I think Jay Harbaugh deserves credit for what they were able to do with, you know, Charbonnet coming off an injury and then Hassan Haskins, a position switch almost out of nowhere. And then suddenly he turns into what he turned into that was outstanding and then obviously you bring Chris Evans back 
you know, they really like Blake Corum. But what I look at when I see all of this stuff is, and you and I can we can bleed this into maybe the receiver conversation too, is you've got four guys right there that we just mentioned, and you've got, you know, Giles Jackson, Sainer still, Cornelius Johnson, um, Eric All, they like him. You've got all these other guys, Roman Wilson or A.J. Henning maybe even too. If Nico Collins isn't back, and it doesn't, I don't know if that's been, you know, one way or another, uh, his ability to create space just by sort of being on the field last year was something that helped them an awful lot as time went on. And if, if he's not back, then that sort of changes, uh, you know, how you've got to go about creating space for yourself. And Gaddis said something a couple weeks ago, the last time he talked to everybody about balance that went beyond just sort of like run pass balance. And it went into that he wanted to make sure as best he could that he was maintaining balance with regard to who touches the ball and who gets what reps, you know, so that there's a situation in scenarios that could exist here where Michigan plays, you know, in 21 personnel, two backs, one tight end, where you've got two backs on the field. One of the backs is Chris Evans. One of the backs is Hassan Haskins or something. Mm. And you can move Chris Evans around and you can move Hassan Haskins around and you can put, you know, them out there with, you know, your receivers and you can do different things to create space for yourself underneath that would also create space over the top or at least loosen things up. And I, it's just a really fascinating thing. And I'm rare, very interested to see sort of how Gaddis can kind of combination all these guys. Cause I feel like last, that was his, I think that was his goal or plan or sort of vision when he got here and he got here and had talented receivers that didn't necessarily fit what this offense probably is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know people are going to have a hard time, hard time hearing that because Donovan Peoples-Jones was a phenomenal talent and Tariq Black's a good player and Nico's Nico, but it's true. I mean, those guys were recruited to play in a West Coast offense. This is not that. So this is different. I think the personnel, in theory, even though, you know, maybe the talent isn't quite, you know, maybe that drops off, but the personnel, and this is why you've heard Gaddis talk about and rave about these receivers and skill guys, the personnel fit is better this year than it was last year, in theory. They have to perform, but really, you know, you just mentioned it with all those running backs. I mean, people would say, well, how, how are you going to get them all on the field? You can get them all on the field. They don't They don't all have to have carries. Mm-hmm. You know, guys can create space for other people without touching the ball. They can create space out of motion. They can create space by where they line up, things like that. And I think that it'll be very inter- interesting to see how many of those skill guys get in games and how often that is sort of balanced and spread around. Because I think it'll be kind of a key to everything here. I think you brought up a good point with Nico Collins. I mean, all of us at times last year were like pulling our hair out and saying, yeah. why don't you throw the ball more to Nico? Uh, but you'll keep in mind, there were times when Nico's got two guys on him down the field and Ronnie Bell's open. You know, how much right. of Ronnie Bell's success last year was because defenses had to pay so much attention to Nico Collins. I think yep. that's one of the one of the big things we're going to find out is if Ronnie Bell is your you know true number one wide receiver, uh, how does he adapt to that? You know, how has he been able to take a step forward this offseason to, to be ready for that? Because you know that's the thing that that Michigan is going to be missing. I think without Nico Collins, is that guy right. that you just have to pay attention to every single snap. And if you're single covered with him down the field, you yes. know that it's probably going to be a big play or a pass interference because, you know, one guy just could not cover Nico Collins down the field. And now that's gone. And so, you know, I, I agree with, with what you said that, you know, this, this personnel group at receiver, it looks a little more like what you would expect a Josh Gaddis receiver group to look like. There's a ton of speed. They're going to be really fast. And I think the hope is that they can just 
have these, you know, these really fast guys who are kind of interchangeable and they can bring them on in waves and, you know, just, just keep hitting you with speed, speed, speed. Uh, but you've also got guys who have pretty limited experience, either the, the second year players who, who got a taste of it last year or the freshmen who are, are coming into it for the first time. There's going to be, there's going to be a lot riding on those guys being able to contribute. Um, and I guess just to add to that, one thing that I'm curious about when we talk about the tight end group, can Michigan replace a little bit of that Nico Collins effect with Nick Eubanks? I mean, obviously he's not yeah. Nico Collins, uh, but if they need a big target, you know, he's got the size and he's shown, you know, an ability to be a downfield threat at times. Can they expand that for him a little more? Uh, and, you know, could we see that from a guy like Eric All, too? I think that's yeah. one of the questions at tight end. Yeah, that's that's the one there. I mean, I, to start without Nico, you know, you don't have your get out of jail free card because yeah, that's what he right. was. Right? right. I mean, he was the guy that, you know, if everything's falling apart and Gaddis said that, too, you know, they, they tried to take a lot of shots. They try to make a concerted, a concerted effort to take shots. And he wants to get away from making a concerted effort. Basically, it's what it sounded like to me to forcing anything and sort of letting things kind of organically, you know, happen within the offense. And that's how it's going to have to be. But yeah, no, I think so. I think, you know, Eubanks has played in the slot some. He's a former, he's a high school receiver that they turned into a tight end that can still run against linebackers. And Eric All. When Eric All got here, I believe he was an early enrollee. I'm almost positive he was because he played in spring that first year. They were raving about him, like in closed doors or behind the scenes or whatever. If you talk to somebody, that Eric All was the guy that they were, you know, out of that freshman class, one of the guys anyway, that they all said, we think this guy could be awesome by the time he's done. And not right now, but maybe by the time he's done as a one of those, like, you know, flex move tight ends who can sort of move around if you can get him against a safety that can't run or, you know, even better, a linebacker, then yes, you can you can stretch with those guys. And it's not going to be just line them up out wide against the corner and have them outrun somebody and throw a jump ball. You're going to have to do other things, you know, either via play action, you know, motion will have to be involved and, you know, other route concepts and things to help create more room for those guys. But if you can get them in matchups that are favorable, you know, I mean – Michigan doesn't play Ohio State every week. Most of the teams they're going to see are going to have linebackers that can't run with Nick Eubanks. Most of the teams they're going to see are going to have safeties maybe. They're going to have a harder time, you know, keeping up with a guy like that if you can get him in the right spot. But the the bottom line here is going to be, like we just said before, getting those guys in here in waves and then when they're out there doing enough to make it to where you're not tipping anything. You know, like if Giles Jackson comes in the game and you run the same thing every time he comes in the game, you know, like last year we saw that a few times, that, you know, the gadget stuff. It can't be gadget stuff. Everybody's got to be able to do everything with this offense. I think that's the thing, that's the kind of the takeaway for me, that if you're playing receiver, you're playing tight end, you got to be able to do all of it. You got to be able to do all the stuff. You got to be able to make a difference and help create space for other people uh, and help create, you know, advantageous matchups by, you know, being on the field and not giving away well, you know, if Corinthus Johnson comes in, we know that they can only do this with him, so that's why he's in the game. Can't be that. It has to be really diverse in terms of their skill set, and that's the idea here. That's that's the point, and that's the reason why you see them bring in a lot of guys that kind of look and feel the same in terms of what they can do uh, from from a skill set standpoint. But you know, it's possible. I just I think that they they have the foundation ish, uh, or you know, whatever. I keep saying in theory because we haven't seen it yet, but it just it feels like they do have the personnel. If Joe Milton can be accurate with his reads and just deliver the ball uh, where it needs to be delivered, so a guy can catch it and make you know with enough room to make something happen, 
that I think they have what they need to be pretty good. And in the theory behind all that would be is you can continue to change speeds. You know, if you want to slow things down and, and kind of lean on people in the run game, you can do that. If you want to pick things up and play a little faster in the middle of a drive, you can do that too. And I think that the idea behind Gaddis's system, and when he first got here and he talked 100 miles an hour about all the ideas that he had and everything else, it sounded like it was like him emptying a bag on the ground and being like, well, here's all my stuff. But it does seem like it's more... He's starting to get that more, uh, and his last year went on, we saw that too. It's it's starting to condense sort of and, and kind of round into, we can sort of see it now a little bit better, I feel like. And obviously it goes back to the quarterback, but it, it feels like with Milton, if he's healthy and if he's doing what they think he can do, they should have the ability to spread the ball around an awful lot and probably be pretty difficult uh, to plan for. And I think ultimately that's that's the whole goal there. Yeah. All right, folks. Well, before we wrap up here, uh, a little bit of news for you. Uh, if you're a listener to this show and our other podcasts, you know we've got a bunch of podcasts at The yeah. Athletic, and that's great. Uh, we lo- love our loyal podcast listeners. Uh, making a few changes uh, just to consolidate things a little bit more. So uh, the good news is Nick and I will uh, continue to be here throughout the football season. We are just shifting this show uh, to be part of The Beat, which is the podcast that Nick and Brendan Quinn have been doing. So this show will now fall under that umbrella uh, instead of the Run Past Michigan uh, banner. And uh, so Nick and I will be part of that show. Brendan will be part of that show. Colton Pouncey, who covers Michigan State, uh, will be part of that show. So basically, uh, if if you're a fan of uh, college sports in Michigan, Wolverine, Spartans, you want to make sure that you are subscribed to The Beat feed because that is where this show now will live uh, at The Athletic and we will be doing shows every week of the football season through The Beat. And also the RPM feed will continue to be active, uh, but that is going to become The Athletic's new a Big Ten show, the Big Show, and that's going to be a, a podcast uh, five days a week from all of our Big Ten writers talking Big Ten football. So you will want to stay subscribed to RPM because that will become the Big Show when that kicks off next week. Nick, did I get all that? Did I leave yeah, anything out? Yeah, I think so. We got a lot of bullet points here for Mike at the top of the show, but I think we got it all. And I think I would also add that you know Austin and I will be on here every week to talk about Michigan's game, one way or the other. Right? I think that's going to be. We're going to have, I think the idea for the beat this year will be two episodes a week there, um, but we're going to make sure to continue to do what we did last year. We just might not have that second uh, Michigan-centric episode, uh, that you know, that second week episode might be me and Brendan talking something, whatever, or maybe Austin and Colton talking something, or me and Colton talking something, I don't know. But we'll continue to have uh, sort of the recap, look-ahead stuff um each week after Michigan's games. I can't see a scenario where we wouldn't do that. So early week stuff, I think, is probably where to look for Austin and I as we go forward this year. Just, you know, if you remember back to last year, we were doing, I think we were recording Austin on like Monday or Tuesday, and then we would come back on like Thursday or Friday and do like a quick game preview. We, we, we might just not have that Thursday or Friday episode. It might be something different. But we will have the, you know, post what just happened and, and what, you know, what does it mean now? We'll still do all that stuff, of course. Uh, but I think you nailed it. Is uh, go subscribe to the beat if you haven't already. It's on iTunes and Google Play and all that great stuff. Uh, you can get it in your athletic app as well. Um, if you're a subscriber, if you're not, please subscribe. But also, if you are an iTunes subscriber to RPM, don't uh, don't unsubscribe to that from that because it will it'll uh, as Austin said that'll lead into something else. Uh, the Big Ten Football Show, which 
uh, is going to be pretty heavy, right? I think it's going to be a couple times, uh, four or five times a week. Is that what we said? Uh, they're going to yeah, yeah. I think it'll be kind of a quick hitting thing. Yeah. Um, all the all the Big Ten writers from from the Athletic will be contributing to it, so that'll be kind of your place to go uh, to catch up on everything that's going on around the conference every week and, and get some perspectives from all the different schools. So uh, that'll be a good show. I'm excited about that. Yeah. Uh, excited to get things going next week. Football, it. it's here. Finally, it. it's here. <laughs> so we will be back next week to talk about that. Thanks, everybody, for uh, supporting our work at The Athletic, and thanks for listening to the show. Thanks.